Good morning, church. It is great to be with you. My name is Jeremy. I'm lead pastor here. So excited that you're a part of this with us. Uh, I want to go right to the deep end immediately. So I don't know. You got to like, oh, I got to get warmed up. We're going deep thoughts right away. I read something this week I had never thought of before in my life. You ever have those moments where you're like, how have I missed this? And so I didn't want you guys to be unaware of this as, as I was. So I'm going to share a deep thought I read this week. Consider if you've ever had this thought. Here's what, here's what it is. I love toast. What absolute genius took a bite of bread and was like, cook it again, unreal. <laughs> right? I mean, have you guys ever had that thought? Like you looked at a piece of bread and went, it's not done yet. There is more happening here. And, I, and somebody looked at bread, which I think bread's pretty amazing. Somebody looked at bread and thought, you know what? We can, there's more potential there. We, we can get more out of this. And thus toast was created. And I don't know about you, but I, I just always think back to like, who was the first person that tried that? Like, what if, what if it had a different flavor, a different taste, if we did something new to it? And, and I want to be that guy that is constantly looking for potential in things. You know what I mean? Like, like I can see things that other people can't see. I'm going, hey, what about this? And, and I like to think that that's a little bit of what we're going to do today. Because we're going to attempt to make some toast together about something that you might think, oh, that's how it is. But we're going to take another look at it and go, is there more there? that maybe we can get out of it. And so we're continuing in our series. Hopefully you got a journal uh, and that you've been uh, holding on to or you got one today. And we're gonna be in week three of our journals. And we've been going through, this is a family meeting for the month where we talk about what kind of a church are we gonna be in the future? Where is this going? Where is this heading? What, what will the future you know, look like as we figure out this, this community that we're a part of? And so I encourage you, today I'm gonna give you a few things I would like you to write down to process through. It'll help you make sense out of where we're going and out of some things that are going to get uh, rolled out to you in the months to come. If you've got your Bibles, and hopefully you do, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Uh, we use our Bible every week. And so if you brought a physical Bible with you, you got an analog Bible, that's amazing. Get your spot in, in the New Testament in Luke chapter 10. If you've got a Bible app on a phone or a device, I encourage you to get that out as well. We'd love for you to read this for yourself. Well, I talk about making toast, but let me give you another way of thinking about what we're going to attempt to do today. Uh, the pastor and author Mark Battison says it like this. Half of learning is learning. The other half of learning is unlearning. Unfortunately, unlearning is twice as hard as learning. It's like missing your exit on the freeway. You have to drive to the next exit and then double back. Every mile you go in the wrong direction is really a two-mile error. Unlearning is twice as hard and often takes twice as long. It is harder to get old thoughts out of your mind than it is to get new thoughts into your mind. So here's the deal. Today is going to be one of those subjects. If you are a long time, I've been in the church my whole life, you know, you're going to have some unlearning to do as we're going to challenge something that we go, hey, let's rethink this. If you're new to this whole church thing, you're going to be like, what's the big deal with everyone else? This seems like it makes sense. And so wherever you're at on that, I'm just giving you a little preface. We're going to take a thought that, that again, I rolled out last week, uh, but we're going to look at what does membership look like for a church today. And in light of everything that's going on, how do we think about membership? And so I've been thinking a lot about membership and the, the, the things that I'm a member of. And, and I, I've just concluded a few things about membership to get us primed. Number one, membership is primarily focused on what you get, right? That's why you become a member. And so I think about things that I'm a member of, a member of Costco, because uh, I get, you know, access to the food and, and I'm a member of American Airlines. I, I fly enough that I have member status there. Uh, I'm a member of Starbucks. I have a little gold card, you know. And so all these things, uh, I'm a member because 
I get something for it. Now, it often costs something as well, but, but what you get is perceived as greater than whatever it will cost you. So membership primarily is about what we get. Number two, membership shapes your actions. When you are a member, it is what you know, prompts your perspective into how you will act when things come up. Let me illustrate this. If you are a member of a health club, and you have a favorite machine, whatever that machine is. And you go to that machine and, and you see a little sign that says, out of order. If you're a member, that will bother you, right? If you're not a member and you're just there for the day, you're like, no big deal, I'll find another machine. But if you're a member, you're like, whoa, this is my gym. You know, this is my health club. I need this machine to work. So you're going to go and make sure it gets fixed. But how are you going to do that? You're probably going to walk over to the front desk. You're going to tell management or an owner and say, hey, I'm a member here. Fix it, Right? No part of you is thinking, hey, how much would it cost to, to fix that? Let me write you a check. No, you're not, process, you're not that invested, but you're a member, and so you're going to go to them. You're going to want something to get better, but you don't necessarily see yourself as the means in which it's going to get better. But, but you care enough that you want it to get better. Number three, I would say, membership creates entitlement, not ownership. Right? And I just illustrated that a little bit, but, but think of what you get as a member. And, and, and this is kind of where that entitlement comes in. We have rights that are owed to us. I deserve certain things. And here's how you can tell what you think you deserve is what do you get that other people don't get? That's how you can tell your, your sense of a membership. Now imagine uh, my, my Costco illustration, okay? Uh, why are you a member of Costco? So you can get past the Costco bouncers at the front door. You know what I'm talking about? Like, otherwise, they'll look at you like, get out. You know, you're not coming in here. And so you get that card out, and you're like, look, look, look. I got access, VIP. I get to get in. And they're like, all right, come on through. Now, if you recall, it used to be that at Costco, you could get in earlier depending on the membership level you had, you know? So you're like, oh, I'm a 10 a.m. member. It's like, whoa, wow, you're impressive, you know? Oh, and the whole point was that you'd get that, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you have to shop with the commoners at noon. You know, like you can't, you can't get in here yet. You're not that level of a member. That's this idea of membership. But imagine that you, you got your card out, you just paid, you upgrade, you got the best thing and you can't wait to use it. And so you're looking for the bouncer. You're like, where is he? You know, I'm ready. And all of a sudden the person goes, oh, no, no, we're letting everybody in. What do, what do you mean? Oh, no, you don't have to have membership anymore. It's just, that's just, you know, it's recommended, but you don't have to have it. Come on in you would feel robbed, would you not? Like, I just paid for this, I should get something. And then imagine standing there and watching a bunch of non-members walk in. And you can just imagine like, but I'm a, I have a card, they don't even have a card, you know? Like, like what's going on here? Or at Starbucks, uh, I get a cold brew, that's my drink. If I drink that cold brew while I'm sitting in a Starbucks, I can get a free refill because of my gold card. And it feels pretty nice to go like, hey, can I get a refill? They're like, oh, that'd be 52 cents. Now I'm a member. You know, it's like, I got this. But imagine if they're like, oh, great, that's free. I'm like, well, isn't it supposed to be 52 cents? No, 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 we don't do that anymore. It's just free for everybody. Oh, cool. Yeah, great for them. You know, it's like, like there'd be this sense of loss, and that's how you can tell what your membership feels like to you because it's what you get that other people don't get. That's how membership works. If I go into American Airlines and I've got my elite status and I get to board with everybody else, there's a part of me that feels like, well, what's the deal? Why do I have this membership? Now, that's how membership works. And think about one or two things that you might be a member of. You're going, yeah, okay, I understand that concept as well. Now, historically, churches have done membership. 
How do we have a, a, a way to invite you to, to, you know, to, to go to a deeper level? And, and just for a long time, it's been membership. And I've been you know, a, a guy that I grew up in the church. I've been, I think, a member of three different churches. And, and that's just what you did. But remember, this month, we've been rolling out our new mission statement, where we go from here. And here's the mission statement, that we're giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. And as we have stared at this statement, we have asked the question, how do we do membership in light of this? What does membership look like when that is where we say we're going? How do we adjust accordingly? And as we began to wrestle through this over the last few months, uh, there was a, a passage of scripture that God laid on my heart and said, hey, process the, this question in light of this passage. And so I want to read this with you today. Now, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse 25, and, and this is one of those passages. If you've read your Bible before, if you've grown up in church, you're like, oh, I've heard it. I know this passage. It's very well known, but hang with me because maybe you're going to see something today that you haven't seen in it before. Maybe it causes us to uh, engage in this conversation in, in a new way. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So you got these two you know, uh, experts in what they're talking about. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Now, I'm fascinated that that was Jesus' response to this. Uh, because notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't actually answer the question. He asks him another question. And notice the question, I don't know, how do you read it? If I, as a pastor, were to answer someone's question, say, hey, what's your stance on this? Or what's the church's stance on this? And I were to say, how do you read it? They'd be like, well, he doesn't know. Like, he, he doesn't know the answer to the question. Now, you know, and it would be like, well, poor him. Like, he doesn't know his Bible that well. He, he can't answer it. But we don't say that about Jesus. That's not why he's not answering the question. Instead, he's asking the guy, hey, you've read the scriptures. What do they actually mean? Because Jesus knows that just because you know something, just because you have that head knowledge, doesn't mean it makes sense to you, doesn't mean it has affected your heart and your behavior. And so this guy, you know, is asking this question. Jesus is like, what do you think? You've read it. What do you think the answer to your own question is? Notice what he says, verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is what's amazing. He knows the answer to his own question. Okay, keep that in mind. That's important. So he answers it. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, you could just close your Bible right there and go, what a great story. This guy has a question. He doesn't know. Jesus asks him to wrestle with it a little bit deeper. He goes back and he answers his own question. What a great day. Except the story doesn't end there. Because notice the next phrase. But he wanted to justify himself. How much do we get into that we want to justify ourselves for? See, the problem with this guy is he was a teacher of the law. He was an expert. He knew the scriptures, but he wanted to justify himself. And so you can have amazing theology and amazing doctrine and an amazing grasp of the Bible. But if you want to justify yourself, you will never live it out. You will never fully apply what you know. And this is what's happening with this guy. He knows the answer intellectually. He can spout it off, but he's not doing it because he wants to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus this question. Well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, 
but he doesn't know who his neighbor is, which is a fascinating thing to consider. He knows all the scriptures to understand, I'm supposed to love God, I'm supposed to love other people, but he doesn't know which other people to love. How do I know how to process that? And as I wrestle with that, I realize this same question haunts us today. Who is my neighbor? Okay, I'm going to love you, God. Got it. And then this is supposed to go from here and it's supposed to go outward. So I begin to give that for others. But who are the others? Who is my neighbor? Now, we could begin to answer this in a number of ways. Well, I would say wherever you live, you have people that live around you. Now, you, you might live in a tight community where they're literally sharing walls with you, or maybe you live on a farm and you've got a neighboring farm next to you. Wherever you live, there are people around you, and you can begin there. Go, that's probably a safe place to start, and go, they are literally your neighbors. So you can start there. You should be able to love them and live out your faith for their benefit, which when you live in proximity can often be tricky to do, right? But we can begin there, but it shouldn't end there. We could ask some more questions. Well, who is my neighbor? What about refugees? Are refugees our neighbors? You might go, well, I, I don't know. You know, how, how are we qualifying what, what a neighbor is? What about people in the gay community? Are they our neighbors? Well, I mean, I don't know if you have to like behave in a certain way to be a neighbor. What about illegal immigrants? Are they our neighbors? What about people who don't actually have a house? They're, they're homeless. Are, are, are homeless people our, our neighbors? Are we responsible to them? What about someone who voted opposite of you at the last election? <laughs> Do you have to love them? Are they your neighbors? So you begin to go, oh, Jeremy, this feels a little bit uncomfortable right now. Like, why are you, why are you bringing up these groups of people? Like, here's what the question really becomes. Is there anyone you don't want to have the good news. That really is what the question is. We talk about we're going to give ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Oh, but not those others. Only the others we're comfortable with. Only the others we deem worthy of having the good news. You begin to ask that question. Is there anyone, if you were to be honest, that you go, I don't think the good news should happen to them. Uh, if you were with us two weeks ago, you might remember there was an excitement that, that when I rolled out this mission statement, there was this, you know, applause in most of our services and an energy and excitement. And now you're going, whoa, this is what it means? Like you were serious? Like we're going we're gonna to do this for like other people? Like, yes, this is how we're going to live this out. And you begin to to understand the same question that this guy's asking. Look, we might know our Bible here. We might have great head knowledge, but if we don't know who our neighbor is, we're gonna have a problem. And this is the problem this guy has. And so Jesus looks at this guy who knows all the right answers. He can spout off the right theology, but he's looking at him going, you're not actually interested in living this out. You just wanna justify yourself. So Jesus says, gather around, let me tell you a little story. This is the story he tells him, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, 
came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. If you know that story and you've heard it before and maybe you've heard it preached a, a million times, that what you know is that this is a story of contrast, of, of irony, of, of, of twist, because the people you expect to be the good guys in the story aren't the good guys. The first two guys are the religious guys. You think they're going to stop. They're going to be the hero, but they're not. It's a Samaritan, an outsider, a, a person that the Jews would have hated. Jesus goes, the person that you hate, that you don't think is your neighbor, that's the one that actually acts like this. That's the one who actually lives out what I'm asking you to live out. And I began to think about why, why the Levite, you know, and the, the priests were not the ones, and the Samaritan. And I began to imagine, again, this is just imagination, not in the text, but imagine that the priest comes up to the guy, and he goes, oh, man, you're really bloody. Like, that's, that's a lot of blood. Like, man, those guys, they really did a number on you. Um, here's the deal. Uh, I would love to help you. I just have one question first. Are you a member of my church? Because if you're a member, whoo, do I have good news for you? And the guy says, uh, I'm not a member. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I got to focus on our members. And he walks away. And the Levite comes up and he goes, oh, I would love to help you. Are you a member? I'm not a member. And he walks away. And the Samaritan, who's the outsider, he's not a member of any of these clubs. He doesn't belong there. The Samaritan comes by and says, you are made in the image of God. And I will serve you. There's no membership, there's no affiliation, there's no reason why the Samaritan has any motivation to help this guy. See, this, this man in need who is not even named has nothing that qualifies him to receive compassion other than the fact that he is made in the image of God. There's nothing else going for him, why he should be helped, why they have an obligation to that. In fact, if you know the law, you realize there was spiritual reasons for the Levite and the priest not to help him. And they go, oh, we're not going to do it. But Jesus says, they missed it. And it's the Samaritan, the outsider, the one you would least ever expect would be the one that realizes this person deserves help. And I began to read the story in light of membership and read it over and over again and to process it. And what I realized is that making the good news for others should not depend on someone's membership. In fact, as I stared at it more, God showed me it's actually the opposite of that. Not only is it not that, it's something else completely. Now, here's your uncomfortable thought of the day. You ready for this? We should disproportionately give ourselves to those who have not yet experienced the good news. You might go, well, what about us? Like, you're saying that we're just going to be a church for others, for those people that make me uncomfortable? You, you just want us to be a community like that? What about us? You may remember Jesus told a story one time about leaving the 99 to go after one because the one needed it. And you can imagine the 99 going, what about us, Jesus? And Jesus says, you, you, already, 
You already experienced the good news. You already have it. But this one doesn't. So I'm going to leave you to go get the one. And when the one comes back, there is great rejoicing in heaven. And it's this concept that God began to lay on my heart to go, be a community that is disproportionately focused on others who have not yet experienced the good news. And so that those of us who have the good news, who have experienced, should take up an advanced mission and go, we can be this for them. We will so care about others that we will do that. For them. And so you go, well, what kind of a church are we going to be in the future? We're not going to be a church in the future that has membership like a club. You, you don't get to say, I'm a member there. Uh, you're not going to get a card. Uh, you're not going to get a status. You're not going to be on any email list. It's not going to work like that. Instead, what we're going to invite you to become is a family member. Now you might go, well, Jeremy, you just added a word in front of it. it sounds like the same thing, right? But it's actually the complete opposite. Why is it opposite? Because here, our family serves our guests. You want to be a part of our family? Awesome, we'd love to. You need to be a part of our family. Guess what? You're not going to get any perks. You're not going to get any discounts. You're not going to get anything that other people couldn't get. In fact, what you're going to say is if you want to be a part of our family, you commit to giving other people perks. You commit to sacrificing, to surrendering, to laying down your own preferences and wants for the benefit of those around you. Because that's what a family does. This would make no sense for Costco or American Airlines or Starbucks to roll out. Hey, join our membership club so that you can pay for other people. Not interested. But shouldn't it make sense for a church to say, you know what? Why don't we do it opposite of the way the world does it? Why don't we join this because of what we're willing to give to it, not because of what we're willing to get out of it? And so the terms you're going to hear as we move forward is that you're either a family or you're a guest. And both have positive connotations. We would love for you to be a family, but if you're a guest, it's not like you're a second tier. We, we're going to serve you. We're going to honor you. We're going to be here for you. And, and you begin to realize, okay, well, how does this play out? Now, here's the deal. Talk about family and guests. You intuitively understand how this works in your own home. I can illustrate this for you. And uh, imagine this in, in your own study. If I were to say, hey, uh, we would love to have you and your family over for dinner at our house. Uh, here's how this is going to go. I, I would say, is there anything that you guys like to eat that you, you don't want to eat? Um, you know, anything we should be aware of? What time do you want to do it? I'd begin asking you those kind of questions as, as you would if you had someone over at your house. Now, imagine you said to me, hey, you know what? Man, we, we've been really craving pizza. Could, could you make a pizza? That would be like the top level. Oh, we would just love like a homemade pizza. That would be the greatest. I would say, you know what? No problem. You come over. We're going to have pizza ready for you. It's going to be great. And you'd be like, awesome. Now, here's what would happen. If I had that interchange with you, I would go home and I would tell my family. I was like, guess what, guys? So-and-so is coming over tonight and we're going to make pizza for them. Here's what this would mean to my family. One of my five kids would go, oh, I don't like pizza. Really, I have a kid that doesn't like pizza. Please pray for us. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know. So I would have that level of conversation. Like, I don't like pizza. I don't want pizza. Then I have a dilemma. What do I do? Do I make pizza because my guests want pizza? Or do I say, you know, my family wants something else. They don't want pizza, so I tell my guests otherwise. Now, you put yourself in that situation. Which one do you do? 
I would guess 99 out of 100 of you would say, hey, kid, you're eating pizza tonight and you're going to love it. You know, like get ready for pizza tonight. Because why? You know that is what a family does for your guests. And I suspect every single one of you would do this intuitively for a guest coming over to your home. Why would we think the church should work differently? Let me go further. If you come over to our home and, and we make this pizza for you, I don't expect you to pay for it. At no point in the meal, I'm like, okay, so here's the deal. About half of this is going to cost that. Would you be willing to? No, not a conversation we're going to have. We'll pay the tab. I will pay for it. You don't have to pay for it. We are giving it to you. I don't expect you to split it with me. I don't expect you to come over early and make the pizza. Hey, we're going to eat at 6. If you can get here about 5.15, we're going to warm the oven up. And then what you guys go, no, you get here at 6, it's going to be ready for you. We will take care of it for you. I don't expect you to clean up afterward. Hey, we got this. You don't need to do dishes. You don't need to do anything. We will take care of it. Why? Because you are our guest and we are serving you. We are honoring you. We are valuing you. Does it mean that I don't love my family? Absolutely not. I love my kids. And tomorrow, I won't make them eat pizza again. But tonight, we're going to have pizza because that is what our guests want. What would happen if a church operated like this? Hey, when you're a guest here, we don't expect you to believe what we believe. We don't expect you to behave the way we behave. We don't expect you to look a certain part. We don't expect you to not you know, ask certain questions or, or avoid certain things. We just welcome you in and we will honor you as our guest. What would happen if other people got to experience the gospel in a community like that? Now, here's what's amazing. Think about your own friends and people you've had to dinner. You know how when you have someone over for dinner like a lot, they become a really close friend and you start to notice things are changing? Like maybe they do bring over some food with them because they're, they eat at your house all the time. Or maybe it is natural for them to clean up and they help you with the dishes, not because you ask them, but they're just over there all the time and you feel like family. And you begin to realize that what makes a family is organically it happen. It's not because they said, hey, we really like the way you guys work as a family. Can we sign up? Is there a card that we can? No, that's not how it works. They would just start acting like your family. And that's how it can work in a church. Our guests are welcome to become family anytime they want. It's not a membership. It's not a club. All they have to start doing is start acting like the family. That's what we would invite you to do. We want our guests to experience that. But we don't expect that of them when they are our guests. So as our family, I would say, hey, if you want to be one of our kids, uh, we have certain expectations of our kids. And you do too, but they might be different. So like our kids aren't allowed to stand on the furniture. Maybe they can in your house. In our house, we don't let them do it. So if you want to be one of my kids, you don't get to you know, stand up on the furniture. That's not a rule of our house. We intuitively understand this when it comes to family. So what our job is now is to say, what does it look like to be part of this family? What is the, the behavior that those who are most committed, who are most invested go, this is how we act in this family. It is our job as the, the leadership to go, this is what we feel God is asking us to do. So if you're ready to take notes, I want to show you four different ways that you can act like a family member here. These are not things that like, if I do this, I check it off, I'm a member for life. No, no, no. It's organic. We just want you to do these things because this is how our family is going to treat our guests. Here's what it looks like. 
Uh, what does it mean to be a family member? Number one, that you have been baptized by immersion. That means uh, fully going under the water, coming back up. Uh, I got a lot of questions about this. What if I was sprinkled as a kid? Uh, if you were sprinkled as a baby, that means that your parents love you and they were invested in you and they wanted you to know Jesus as an adult. And if you're here today, well done, you do. But what we see in scripture primarily is adults choosing it for themselves. Now by adults, I mean that just you're old enough to say, this is what I am choosing, not someone else choosing it for me. I was baptized when I was in third grade. I chose it. I don't need to get rebaptized. I remember it. It was a defining moment for me. We would want the same of every single person that you have had a chance to, uh, to choose it yourself, that you've done it through a water immersion. That's what we find in scripture. That's the way we'd ask you. So we want every single person. You go, why? It's not magical. It doesn't make you saved or not saved. It's an act of obedience. Literally, Jesus asked us to do it. That's why we do it. He told us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we go, okay, Jesus, we'll do it. You asked us to. So if you want to know, what does family look like here? Well, we would want every single person who is deeply committed here to say, yeah, I'm going to take that step. And maybe some of you are going, I, I never have. We would encourage you. Get baptized. We'd love to have you do that. Second thing, that you attend intentionally. What does that mean? Well, when you come to weekend worship, it's not like, hey, I'm here if the schedule is open. Like if nothing else is going on that week, I'll be there. But you see this as an integral part of your week. That, hey, I know that I can't fully live out my faith unless I'm around the church that is going to encourage me and equip me and inspire me. And so you make this an intentional part of your week. You plan your events around it. Guys, we've got three services at this campus on the weekend. We have a Thursday night service. Uh, You can watch it later online and catch up if you missed it. We try to make it really easy for you to attend with us. And here's why. If you look around the room right now, you know what you'll see? A bunch of people who don't look like you, who don't believe what you believe, who have different opinions on some of the things that you're most passionate about, who voted differently than you, right? Well, what brings us all together then? What what is that thing that, that unites people like us here? You know what it is? Jesus. It is only Jesus because there's no other common denominator. We go, oh, well, we all make this amount of, no, there's nothing else outside of Jesus. That is called the church. When the church begins to unite people for no other reason than we're in awe of what he is doing and we are submitting ourselves to him, that's the church. That happens when you are in a large group of people who you didn't choose. And God begins to mold you and shape you and instruct you because you are around other believers and you learn how to live together with them. But we would also say it can't just be the large community. It's got to be small community as well. So we're asking every person, if you want to be a part of the family, join a life group. We're starting this with our elders, our staff. Like this is the expectation because you need to be in a group of people, of people who know you, who can say, hey, you seem a little bit off this week. Hey, what's going on? You look discouraged. Hey, this is what some you know, hardship. How can we support you through this? You, you need the church in that setting as well. And so we're going to ask every person, you want to be a part of it? That's what our family does. You attend intentionally the, the large gathering on the weekend, and we want you to be in a life group. And we believe that is the best way for you to live us out. Third thing, we want you to serve regularly. Why? Because it's not about you. And so we're going to say, you know how many opportunities we have as a church for, for service. And here's the reality. Uh, if you are a Christian and you have the spirit of God in you, God has equipped you with spiritual gifts for the church. If you don't use those gifts, you will never thrive as a believer. And the church will never thrive if the people inside of it do not use their gifts for the benefit of the church. And so we're just going to say unabashedly, you want to be a family 
with us, you gotta serve regularly. We have so many opportunities to serve, it would blow your mind. Uh, why don't you begin thinking about how could I regularly serve with the ways that God has wired me? That is a part of being a family here. Fourth thing we would say is that you give generously. Now you may have noticed this last year and we did a whole series uh, you know, called Overflow. Well, what does generosity look like? It's not a percentage. We're not gonna tell you. If you hit this percentage, then you're giving generously. We're gonna challenge you to join us in challenging a culture of materialism where we are ever convinced, I need more and more and more. And we're just gonna say, you know what? We wanna build the kingdom more. We wanna sacrifice more. We want to learn to not be dependent on the things that everyone else is dependent on. And so we're gonna learn to invest our finances differently. You know what I've noticed in people? Uh, if you can give generously, it's amazing what your heart is open to with all the other things God wants to do. But if you go, I'll do all these other things, but I'm not giving generously, you're going to have a hard time on a heart level with God. Because there's something about that control. Until you are willing to give up control, to put yourself in a vulnerable place with God, you're going to have a hard time experiencing the life that God has designed for you. And so we're going to say, hey, this is what our family does. And again, you don't get a, like, join a list of people who have done it one time. No, we're just going to ask you, just organically be the family with us. Join us in serving those around us. Now, you may remember if you were here last week, I talked about a discipleship process, and I rolled out our new logo. And I said that our logo has meaning, that I want you to see the logo and think of the word movement. Why? Because every single one of us, no matter where you're at in your journey with God, we want you to move closer to what God wants to do in your life. Every single one of us. And so uh, the logo being a mountain, each level of the mountain represents a different area of how you can move. And it begins in one area, but then you start to go back and learn other ways to do it. Now what you'll realize is each area of the mountain, each step is tied to a mark of being a family member. So you're going, wait a minute, these all go together? They do. Write this down, you're going to see this. So we begin. Meet Jesus, remember? That's, the, that's where the mountain begins. You start it, that's where we're gonna invite every single person, meet Jesus. What's the action step involved in meeting Jesus? We'd ask you to experience baptism. So, oh, so if I meet Jesus and I'm baptized, then that's how I experience that part of being a family member. Absolutely, that's what we encourage every single one of you. Meet Jesus, experience baptism. Second thing we talked about, experience good news. Okay, so I'm experiencing good news. How do I know if, if, if there's an action step for that? We want you to be in life groups and we can worship. That's how you experience good news. Not how you hear about good news or read about good news. You experience it in the people around you. So we're going to say, yeah, that's how we want you to express that part of being a family member, that you're experiencing good news. Third level of the mountain, we want you to learn how to see other people. Remember, we're talking about how do I do this? How do I listen to other narratives? Well, what's the way that you can do that? What's the action step? That's where you start to serve. There's no better way to see other people than literally saying, I'm here to serve you. It will focus your eyes on other people outside of yourself because you're going, your needs right now are more important than my needs. You'll be amazed how you will see others if you'll commit to serving them. Finally, we, we talked about giving yourself, right? That's the, the top level. And obviously that goes with giving. We're gonna say, look, if you wanna be invested, it's gotta be all of you. It can't be, oh, I have all these other areas, but then I, I, I hold the keys and I hold the control. We're gonna say, look, you gotta surrender all of that and it means financially as well. And so we're gonna encourage all this and you'll start to go, oh, this is all weaved together. It all goes together. Now, here's my question for you. As you look at this list of these are the different levels of the mountain and each one has an action step of what it looks like to act as a family here. Here's my question. Which one jumps out at you? that God goes, hey, you have some room to move in this area. And it should be a real quick, like, oh, 
that, that's the one for me. I've never done that one, or I haven't done that one in a long time, or, or maybe it's like I, I just got a lot of room for growth there. Which one of these jumps out at you? I, I want you to begin to, uh, to move toward God on that. And as a church, we want to equip you to do that. If you look in the seat in front of you, you'll see a little card in the back of the seat. I want you to grab this card out right in front of you. Grab this card out right now. And every single person, if you would, get this card out, and you'll see on the card, uh, one side has the logo, the other side says, I want to participate with our family in serving our guests. Please contact me about. And then you'll see the four different things we talk about. These are the action steps of what the family does. And we're going to invite you. If you want to join us in this, if you're invested in going, I want to give myself to make the gospel good news for others, which one is God calling you to move in? Which one is God saying? And so here's what I want you to do. Right now, I don't want you to spend a ton of time like, i got to really process this. You know the answer to this. You know it's like, oh, it's that one or a couple of them. I want to encourage you, fill out your name, phone, and email, and check at least one box. If you're feeling really bold, check a couple. But check at least one box, and we're going to invite you in just a moment, turn this in when the offering buckets are passed. You're not committing to life to this area. You're allowing a staff member to call you this week and begin to engage. How can we help you in this area? How can we help connect you to the life of the family here? And, and, and so this is what I'm gonna invite every single one of you. If you're serious about joining us in this mission, we're gonna ask you, let's move together. Let's be a church that is growing and moving. Fill that out, check at least one of those boxes, turn it in and join us in living this out for those around us. So let's recap. What do I get if I become part of the family here? Nothing is the right answer. You get nothing. What, what perks do I get? What benefits? What elite status do I get that other people don't have? You get nothing. Except it's not exactly true. Because what you get is the chance to be a part of a story so much bigger than yourself. You get to be a part of what God is doing in transforming the lives of the people around you. You get to have the realization that I have on a regular basis that I am a flawed, broken person with all kinds of baggage, and yet God is somehow using me for the benefit of others. There is no feeling in the world that can compare with that. And when you become a part of this family, you get to experience that. And friends, there is nothing that can compare with seeing God use you in that way. I want to close with this quote. We serve the world by showing it something that it is not. Namely, a place where God is forming a family out of strangers. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to be a part of a new kind of family. A family that understands that we choose to surrender our wants and our preferences and our opinions for the benefit of others, even those others that make us a bit uncomfortable because we have experienced the good news. We want others to experience what we have experienced. And so God, may we be a community that moves, that moves forward every day with an openness to what your spirit is inviting us to do that we would not be those people who know the Bible, who know the right answers, but who do not know how to live it out, but that we would know who our neighbor is and we would be willing to go and do likewise, to live out our faith, to give ourselves, to make the gospel good news for them. 
God, may you ignite us. May you inspire us. May you encourage us and equip us and use broken people like us for the benefit of all those around us. And may a new story be told because we were willing to give our lives to something greater than ourselves. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.